If you would remain standing, if you're able to do so, and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Uh, This morning, this will be the third installment on this large text that we started two weeks ago. And I will focus primarily on verse 29 through 34, but I'm going to read the whole uh, text in order to set the uh, environment and the context for us to discuss. So let's ask the Lord's blessing and then I'll begin reading at verse 13. Now, Father, we come and we ask in your blessing upon the reading and the preaching of your word. Lord, as we preach the gospel from this text, help us to see the truths that it contains for our Christian life. Lord, help us to heed the warning of covetousness. Help us to understand what it is to be rich toward you, rich toward God. Help us, O Lord, as we walk in this world not to fret, worry, our Lord, become anxious for nothing. And we pray, O Lord, that you would help us from this text of Scripture be strengthened in our understanding that we would delight in the kingdom of God and we would delight even more that you know what we need before we even ask it and that you are our Father and you care deeply for us. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Beginning, beginning at verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And But he said to him, man who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you. And then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying that a land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, for this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For your life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, Not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, how much more he clothe you, you men of little faith. And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows what you need, knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts, which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Well, beloved, it seemed important that I spend one more Sunday addressing this large text of Scripture. And it's um, uh, very profitable to do so. There's so much here that we all can benefit from uh, is as it enhance these truths will enhance our Christian walk before the Lord. One thing this text primarily teaches us is that covetousness is a, well, a sin, and it is a great hindrance to the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us in verse 15 to beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. It appears that Jesus is telling us that greed and covetousness is always close by. It's a sin that lurks around the corner. Even when things are good, the parable that Jesus uses is nothing bad about how this man gained his riches. There's, it's all good. He was very productive. The land was fertile. He had tilled it. He cultivated it. He fertilized it. He did everything that he uh, could do in order to see a great harvest come from the land. And yet it was in abundance. It was even more than he, well, thought would happen. It far exceeded his expectations. The harvest did. So much so that it put him in a quandary, what will I do with it all? Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, Jesus tells us, though, to be careful. Now, there are a couple of things about this sin that I think it's important for us to be reminded of today. And that is, number one, as I just mentioned, it's a sin that's always close by. It's not just... Uh, something that we covet that's bad, we can certainly covet bad things, can't we? I mean, we can certainly want bad things that are bad for us. But that's not what this text highlights, as I just mentioned. He wants us to know that we ought to be on guard looking out for it all the time. All the time. That it's, a, it's a, a present tense verb. It's something that we should always be mindful of being right around the corner. That even when we set our minds upon those good things, we need to check our motivations, right? We need to check the intentions of our heart. Why do we want these good things? 
And there's nothing wrong with enjoyment. I mean, the Bible's full and of, of God's people enjoying the good things of life. It's not that at all. Maybe we need to be reminded of that this morning. Because we have a less than Christian perspective on good things of life. But there's a second thing that I want to remind us of, and that is when we don't check greed, right? When we don't look for it, when we, when we think we're above it or somehow we couldn't be subjected to it or fall into that sin, we need to be mindful that, well, covetousness does shut people out of the kingdom of God. That's how grievous the sin can be. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5 that covetousness, those who are guilty of it, those who do not fight against it, those who succumb to it, and those who are characterized as greedy people are shut out from the kingdom of God. And then there's another, a third aspect of greed that I want to bring to your attention, and that is that Covetousness, even for the Christian, can be of a, a great hindrance to your usefulness, right? Greed and covetousness can be a great hindrance to your good works and usefulness in the body of Christ. If you are, well, I, I think it's self-explanatory for the most part, but just keep these three things in mind, that covetousness is a lurking sin. It comes in many shapes and sizes and in many forms. And I would say, beloved, that even for you here this morning, it's not so much that I am worried that you as your pastor is out, are out coveting evil things, but I want you to be aware of the good things. I want you to be mindful of the good things. I want you to be mindful of the blessings of God as he pours out those blessings upon you of posterity. Um, You know, even wealth is not just simply material things, even though this text does address the material things. I mean, wealth is all that encompasses with relationships and family, love, nurturing, peace, those things that enhance one's life. But what we cannot do is, number one, not be thankful for those things. We have to be thankful for those things because they are blessings from God. But we don't want to trust in those things. We can't trust in them. I mean, what do I mean by trusting in them? I'm just going to give a brief illustration and move on in the text. But when I say trust in those things, that you might look at your family and say, look, we have such sweet fellowship with the parents and the children and whatnot, and I don't have really, you know, any major trouble. They're all really good children, and, you know, there's, there's just, it's just a good home. And if you look at that home and you say, well, this means I am in good standing with God. That's trusting in those things. Those are blessings. 
Those are the favor of God shining in your life and are beacons of his love and, and care for you. And, and those are things that should inspire you to what? Greater faithfulness, greater works, greater thanksgiving. You see, we can't just trust in those things and say, I must really be in in good standing with God because of those things. No, these are blessings, and, and we are to look beyond the blessing and to the blesser. Now, that's really the problem of the rich fool, isn't it? He did not do that because he was... He lacked faith. He did not have saving faith. His heart had never been regenerated. His heart had never been purged of, of that sin in his life, he, whether original or actual. When he was blessed with this abundance of fruit from the harvest, he, well, it destroyed him. He focused on it. He put his trust in it, and that's the condemnation. That's what God condemns him of, or that's what G, or at least Jesus tells the story in verse 20. He said, look, this is what God says. God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. What he's saying is you trusted and invested all of this effort and energy in this blessing and yet you neglected the most important thing, your soul. See, that's what is highlighted in the text. At least twice, what does Jesus teach us? You are more than the substance of your life. Your life is more than the things that you have in it that are around you. Your life is more than these things. You can see that he mentions that even after we get into the application of the text. It's important to note that this, these are the, the threads and the running themes of the text that we have to, to hook our intellect on and reason through these things and go, wow, I am more than the, 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 the goods and the things in my life. He even says, look, your body is more than clothing, More than food, your life is more than that, meaning it's more valuable. That's why I chose the title of this morning's message, which is what? Be rich towards God. That's the, that's the command this morning. Now, the command comes out of the negative right there in verse 21. Now, notice what Jesus says. He's, he's not just saying this about the fool, but notice the application Jesus gives it in verse 21. He says, so is the man, that is anyone like him, not just him, but anyone like him. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's the negative, isn't it? That's the condemnation. That, that's, that's the indictment. If you're like this man, if you're anything like this man, you are 
poor toward God. He's given us a picture to examine ourselves by. So I took the affirmative side and said to you this morning, and I say to you this morning, be rich toward God. And let's, what does that mean? I want to give you some tangible things from the text as I have, but I want to give you more of what it means to be rich towards God. Now, let me address that title a wee bit. Where I am playing off of the words found here in God's word uh, and is not rich toward God. There is this aspect of that phrase direction or um, that is, it's, it's this idea that man is consumed with the moment, but he's not rich in the things that take him to God. Notice there's direction involved. Towards God. That is, we are, in, we are not passive in life. Christians are never to be described as being passive in life. We are very active in life. We are active in our faith. We are active in the means of grace. We are active towards God. And if we are not active towards God, there's a problem. And in this case, in this case, it, he wasn't active toward God. He was active toward himself. Let soul, you have so much. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. And nothing wrong with eating and drinking and being merry. The problem was his motivations and intent. His use of those things was the problem. So, brothers and sisters, how are we to be rich toward God. Well, first, and I'm not going to re-preach verse 22 all the way down through verse 28. You can go back and listen to last week's sermon if you want a more fuller explanation of those things. But I'll just mention this two things. Number one, certainly the ravens being unclean, if God cares for the unclean bird, you know, the, the one nobody cares about, hey, how much more you? If God will care for the grass, the lilies, something that's temporal, something that, as the text says, tells us, is here today and gone tomorrow, but something that is so temporary, God cares enough to robe that lily even in the garb that was more splendorous than Solomon. He cares for you. For you are neither unclean or an animal and you're not grass and temporal. Now, beloved, if you are here this morning as a Christian, maybe you may never really grasp this idea, you're going to live forever. From the moment that God created your soul, you will never die. I mean, the body will suffer decay. 
But there will be a resurrection. And that body will be restored in either two ways. Number one, to the capacity of being able to be subjected to eternal fire and torment forever. Sort of an indestructible body, imperishable. Or a glorified one that gives you the ability to enjoy God and to the fullest capacity forever. But you're never going to die. And you need to have this eternal mindset. You need to grasp the fact that you are going to live forever because that plays into how you live every day of your life, what you are going to invest yourselves in. Are you going to invest in this world, which leads to nothing and then eternal damnation? Are you going to invest in that? Or are you going to invest in that which is eternal and glorious and enjoyable? That's the question. Now, Jesus tells us what we must do. Not only must we change our thinking, and that's why I use the word consider, That word carries a lot of weight. That word carries a massive amount of weight because we must know that when we are going to address greed and covetousness in our heart, we're going to have to do some soul searching. When we have to address worry, when we have to address anxiety, we have to address the way we think about things. And so we must consider the matter of the ravens and the lilies and other things, but there's two here. But in verse 29, notice he says, he says, and in in verse 29 through 32, here's the, here's the, the strength of the text. The strength of the text is we're told what not to do and what to do. We're told to put off something and put on something. We're told to stop doing something, and we're told to start doing something. Now, let let me give you, and, and, and none of this is gradually. Jesus is not saying, think about these things and, well, we'll talk in a year and let's see how you're doing. No, the, the, the strength is stop it. And if you're, if, you, if, if you're not doing it, the positive, then you haven't stopped. Okay, so that's important to note. He says, and do not seek, verse 29, do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink and do not keep worrying. These imperatives along with these negatives, these, the, the participles, it doesn't come out necessarily in our English, but it is there in the Greek. And he's like, look, Look, stop seeking the things that your heavenly father know you need. Stop it. Now, is he saying not, don't, don't plan your meal tonight? No. That's a whole nother, really, a whole set of teaching that I think the church desperately, not so much you, but the church desperately needs, particularly young Christians, that none of this does away with saving planning. But the point is, is when we become so fixated upon those things that God has already promised to do, we're wasting our time. 
We're wasting our time. We're burning up vital fuel and energy that we could be loving God, loving one another, serving the kingdom of God, rich in good works, and investing, as verse 33 says, in the kingdom of heaven. That's why most people that are guilty of worry and anxiety, they look worn out because they are. They look tired and haggard. And Jesus, the remedy is stop it. Now, you can't simply stop it without doing something else. That's the point. And that's the failure of so many Christians. They stop doing something, but they fail to do the positive and they go back to doing the negative because they're so habituated to it. Now, notice what he says. He says, do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink and do not keep worrying. Stop it. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. What is he saying? This is how the Gentiles live. These are how unbelievers live. You're not an unbeliever. You're supposed to be a disciple of Jesus. You're a Christian. You've been given the promises. You've been given his spirit. You've been taught the precious things of the God from the pulpit and Bible study and and Sunday school and all of these things. You've been told better. Stop it. Quit acting like the unbeliever. Why? Because they eagerly seek these things. They're consumed by it. We see that in our advertisements. If I have this car, I'll be something. If I have this look, I'll be adored. If I have this amount of money in the bank, I'll be among the elite. That's the way the world thinks. And again, there's nothing wrong with beautiful looks. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. There's nothing wrong with having money in the bank. It's the way we see it, the way we use it, and and what we think it does for us. It gives us no standing before God. Why? Because it's so, it's just nothing to him. He blesses us with these things. But your father knows what, he knows that you need these things. He knows. Why do you slap the hand of your father? Let me give you a little... I thought, I thought it was funny, and I'm going to tell a little bit of my, my own age, I guess, but some of you I know are familiar with like the Carol Burnett show. Right? That's, that woman was very funny. They had a, a skit where Tim Conway played a psychologist. And Carol Burnett goes in there. She's got problems, and she's going to see the psychologist for her and get remedy for the problems. And, and she comes in, and he you know, says, hey, I'll see you. And she goes, well, how much is it? And he says, it'll be a dollar. She's like, a dollar? Well, I can't be really good advice for her. Okay, but here, here's a dollar. She goes, well, let me get out my notepad. Let me write these things. He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, you're not going to need to write anything down. He goes, you're going to remember it. You know, she explains her problem, and he goes, all right, here it is. Are you ready? She goes, yeah. He said, stop it. Just stop it. Just stop doing it. 
Now we laugh because you're like, yeah. He's like, lady, you're crazy. Stop it. But the problem is that's not how the Christian life works. We have to stop it, but then we have to begin prayerfully and dutifully doing the things that replace that worry and that anxiety and the seeking of the world. And that's where it comes from. We don't seek these things. We seek first the kingdom of God and then these things will be added to us. We have to stop it. Brothers and sisters, at the very heart of this is this worry and doubt really is is trusting the Lord, isn't it? And we all struggle with this. Look, there's no finger pointing here. We all, myself included, can at times very much struggle with trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord for family, trusting the Lord for health, trusting the Lord for income, trusting the Lord for business, trusting the Lord for one another, trusting the Lord for the church, trusting the Lord for the, the, the turmoil in our nation. There are so many things that we can fall into worry and anxiety. It's easy to do. Let me give you, I mean, just a couple of Uh, scripture references, but part of putting off worry about the things that we want and desire is, well, trusting the Lord and serving others. That is, we have to take the focus off of ourselves. And we have to take the focus off, and that's part of my major, that is just one of many, but that is part of my my personal problem with therapy and, and psychology and everything else. Even when you sit down and say, well, let's do some, you know, sit back and do some self-reflecting, and it's just you in an echo chamber with you. That's not healthy. That's why we have the Spirit of God working with the Word of God upon our own hearts. That is, when we are to consider ourselves, we are to use God's Word. Hebrews 4.12, that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern the soul, able to cut through the soul, bone and marrow, and what, judge the intentions of the heart And because living for self is only going to separate you from the kingdom of God, you need to put on that activity that was going to promote the kingdom of God. And you look in your Bibles, turn your Bible to Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19 and verse 17 The one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. And he, he being the Lord, will repay him for his good deed. You see that? What are you putting off? You're putting off an exorbitant fixation upon yourself. And now you're going to begin to turn your thoughts and efforts and energy from self to others who are in need, right? Look at this energy on yourself, it's just wasteful. 
You worry, you build up all these anxieties, you do all, and what Jesus says is it's for nothing. But rather, this is how you invest. Now you're going to make a deposit in the kingdom of God. How are you rich toward God? You're making a deposit in the heavenly kingdom by serving others, particularly those in need. Look at 2 Corinthians 9. Second Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, now this I say, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, now you can see how the Apostle's teaching, and even out of Proverbs, this is where Jesus, this is where Jesus got this teaching he says, now I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, God doesn't love the, the greedy people, so to speak. He's, this is the opposite. Balls Look, his favor is delight. His delight is on the cheerful giver. And how do we know this? Because God sows abundantly to him. God is, is allowing him to reap in abundance. That's favor. Look at Matthew chapter 25. It's a text we typically do not make this application to, but yet it's proper. Chapter 25. And in this scene, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but notice what Jesus does here, that when the one who is being judged, right? When he sits back and he does these things, what is Jesus telling? He says, I was a stranger, verse 43, I was a stranger and you did not invite me in and naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will say to themselves, also will answer, Lord, when did you, then would we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick in prison and did not care for you? And the answer, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So if you lack motivation on helping others, maybe that verse will help you say, you know what I'm doing? I'm ministering in the name of Jesus to Jesus, his body. Maybe that'll help you. Oh, let's um, continue on back at Luke 15, or Luke 12. So you see that these are the things that we must put off. These are these present tense participles. These are things that have to stop. And then other things must take their place. We have to quit being selfish and we have to start being givers. We have to, we have to uh, be mindful that when we are selfish and, and, and 
exorbitant, extravagantly self-centered, we act like non-Christians. We act like the nations that Jesus refers to right here in verse 30, uh, verse 30 and in verse 31, but seek the kingdom in these things and they will be added to you. That's the promise, isn't it? Here's the, again, the, 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 this is the relationship of the Greek tense. As you continue presently today, tomorrow, the next day, and the next day, and the next, as you continue to seek the kingdom, what does God do? He then gives you these things. I don't know, when we pray, maybe we say, well, you know what? I will start doing things when I get. That's not what this verse does. This verse says, no, you stop doing these things and you start adding to these things and you start seeking the kingdom. And as you seek the kingdom, these things are added to you. Brothers and sisters, part of the problem you may have in your life of lacking is that you're not serving. That could be part of the problem, right? And that's what Jesus is saying here in verse 32. Maybe it's because of fear. And this is another issue. We certainly live in a day and time, I mean, of fear mongering. And we are to put this off. Do not be afraid. That's to put off. And he says, little flock. Well, small compared to the things and the challenges of the world, for sure. You're small compared to the the great evil in this world. But yet, Christ says in commandment, do not fear. And there are a number of reasons we should not fear. Number one, because Christ cares for us. God cares for us. And he's providing for us. He's promised to do this. If he doesn't do it, he doesn't keep his word. Let me give you an an illustration. Let me illustrate it. Maybe that'll help. The picture, if you read Proverbs, you, you collectively take the scriptures and you understand maturely the whole counsel of God's word. You get up early. You put your hands to the labors that God's called you to. You pray for God's blessing upon those labors. You pray that you would labor in a way that God would be glorified. You are attentive. You are respectful. You are on time. You are conscious about other people's times and efforts and energy. You're, you, you, look, you want to give other people praise when it is due. You want to come and you want to do your work as unto the Lord. And you're asking, oh, Lord, as you see fit, bless these hands. And then you may have just a little bit to eat. You don't throw your Christianity to the wind and say, I'm not satisfied. God's just giving you an opportunity to pray. Lord, I trust you. You know what I need. You know, you know, Lord, I love you. So I'm praying that you give me patience. Lord, don't let me overreact. And Lord, prepare me for the abundance when it comes, because it will come. And I don't know what it looks like. I don't. That's not my job. My job is not to worry about what it looks like. My job is to prepare myself by grace so that when it comes, I won't fall away. So when it comes, I won't be rich in this world instead of rich towards God. 
And that's what he's saying here. Don't be afraid. For your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Notice, it pleases the Lord. You go to Matthew chapter five. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So it goes to verse 33. Now, this is the investment part. This is the investment part. This is the the, the nail in the coffin. This is the sealing, the teaching, if you will. Notice what Jesus says. This is not a, this is a very particular commandment, not a general commandment. That is, the details of this command apply to us. Sell your possessions and give to charity. That's not a commandment for us to go out and sell everything and give to charity. It's it's not a general commandment. It's a very particular one. He says, now look, make yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. Here's what Jesus is telling us here this morning. If we are going to be rich towards God, we're going to have to invest in heaven. How do we invest in heaven? Well, he tells us right there, be charitable. Be givers. Now, some of you can't give money. You can give time. You can give encouragement. Don't be so narrow-minded with your gifts and talents. Have you sat down and prayed, Lord, you know what I am. You know what I have. How would you like to use me? Ten Take three phone calls from you to somebody else in this church would go a long way this week. How you doing, sister? How you doing, brother? I heard somebody mention a problem. I'm I'm praying for you. That's giving encouragement. Sometimes that's all that's needed. Sometimes more is needed. Sometimes we need to give tears because we need to learn how to cry with others. We need to learn how to hurt with others. Sometimes we need to sit down and when somebody is immensely blessed, we need to learn how to praise God with them, laugh with them, rejoice with them. The Christian life is a life of great emotion, isn't it? But that's what our Father does in heaven all the time. He's lamenting and rejoicing, lamenting and rejoicing all the time. And so should we. So should we. But we must be charitable and we must be givers. And when we give, we are making for ourselves money belts that are not of this world. And you know what a money belt is. That's where you keep your cash. He's saying if you are charitable in the name of Jesus, you have a money belt hid away for you in heaven that is yours to inherit and nothing can touch it. Now verse 34 is the one we close with. 
It closes the thought. That's the, this is the investment in verse 33. This is what he tells us to do. We must all as Christians be investors in the kingdom of God. And if we are investors in the kingdom of God, we are ensuring that our souls are heavenward. If you're not doing that, you're poor toward God. You're poor towards God. Okay, you see the scales, right? The balance. If you're not these things, you're poor toward God. And this is the, 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 the part that examines us. Because you may say, I like giving. Yeah, I don't mind. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your heart, if your treasure is the kingdom of God, your heart will be there. Your interests, your efforts, your rejoicing. It doesn't negate all of those other things that we've talked about, and certainly I can teach on those things much later. But if your treasure is the kingdom of God, then you will have a heart that is towards God, free of anxiety, of worry. When I say free, that doesn't mean you have to fight it. You do. But I mean free from the bondage of it. Free from its sapping the vitality out of your life. Free from being consumed with what I look like, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to be, what I'm going to have, how am I going to do this? Why am I going to be popular? All of these things. How am I going to feel good? I just want to feel good. I mean, that's look at the culture that that is. I just want to feel good. I just want to be at ease. I just want people to like me. I don't want any problems. Be free from all that. You can be free from all that. Because the kingdom of God is your treasure. And your heart's there because you're willing to pursue it and live it. You know what it is if I say, oh, look at that young couple right there. She has his heart. You know what that means. Well, the kingdom of God has our heart. And we serve that kingdom. And we must serve that kingdom according to the way Jesus commands us to serve that kingdom. If not, we are not rich toward God. We are only self-deceived. And may that not be true of anyone here. Let's pray. Now, Father, do bless this word this morning. May we truly take it to heart. And may we come to that place, Lord, where we believe and truly desire that the kingdom of God is our treasure. And that you have us. You have our hearts. Lord, help each and every one of us lay up treasures in heaven. 
Free us, O Lord, from this bondage of anxiety and worry. Free us, O Lord, from the fear, Lord, that comes to us when we are uncertain of life, where we don't have answers, O Lord. Keep us from falling into that pit and mire of fear. But let us know that you are our Father and that you have gladly chosen us, O Lord, to freely give us the kingdom. Lord, we pray this in Christ's name, amen.